The following is a Teatro del Pueblo production. Welcome to Coco's Barrio, where our dogs bark Spanish lullabies. The Mississippi surprise is always sneaking in the heart. There are more ways to say, Que frio! You betcha! Than you ever thought possible. But the warmest place is where the heart is. Where the heart is home. This is our home. Welcome to Coco's Barrio, where our We are so glad you're here. Today, we are dedicating this episode to a very ancient tradition of this country. We will have a conversation about immigration with our special guest, Vina Iyer, the Executive Director of Immigrant Law Center of Minnesota. The music from Kathy, Mariachi Internacional, Mestifonia, and the exceptional performance of Teatro del Pueblo's acting troupe of an immigration rhapsody. Y yo, 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 su servidora, Coco! del burrito mercado You can find Swedish meatballs Tamales noche día Latinx Paradise. As an immigrant, I can tell you that I will never forget where I come from. I love Guatemala, mi primer amor. But immigrating to the U.S. has added a new dimension to my life because I am now surrounded by different languages, flavors, colors, sounds that add more to my life and this makes me enjoy those differences. I like to sing, for example, con todo el corazón, México lindo y querido, si muero lejos de ti, que digan que estoy dormido y que me traigan aquí. Dear beautiful Mexico, if I were to die away from you, they'd better say I'm only sleeping and bring me back to you. And I like to transport myself to the llanuras of Venezuela with Simón Díaz cantando Caballo de la Sabana porque está viejo y cansado while I am eating a sweet Somali sabayad and drinking un cafecito a la hora del fica en el American Swedish Institute. <laughs> Looking around, my friends, my neighbors and co-workers, they all share with me a piece of themselves every day And I cling to those moments as an opportunity to blend centuries of history, theirs and mine, amalgamating a home of my own. And I am pretty sure the people of Minnesota agree with me. This is who we are, no matter what our background is. Now, let's get serious. No, not really. Let's get more happy because guess what? The Mariachi Internacional will come y nos va a deleitar con su música. Woohoo! 
no he cambiado Estoy enamorado Tal vez igual que ayer Quizá te comentaron Que a solas me miraron Llorando tu querer Y no me da vergüenza Que aún con la experiencia Que la vida me dio A tu amor yo me aferro tengo, no te puedo olvidar, a tu amor yo me aferro y aunque ya no lo tengo, no te puedo olvidar, de qué manera te olvido, de qué manera yo entierro, este cariño maldito que a diario atormenta. Mariachi Internacional with the song De Que Manera Te Olvido by Federico Méndez Tejeda, which was made famous by Vicente Fernández. Huh? ¿Qué tal? Nada más y nada menos. I hope you enjoyed it like me. Son canciones que te llegan al alma, ¿no? Our next segment is brought to you by the following sponsors. Este winter, prepárase para que no le pase las de Felipe. I get ready for the day. I scrape the ice off the windows. I go to my car. I stick in the key. And... I, I try to stop. No se quede en el arranque. Pancho's batteries won't leave you out in the cold. Pancho's batteries. The battery with a bite. And also by Sana Sana Pomada when you need fast relief. Me pica, me pica mucho, me pica. Y cuando más me raspo. Quemaduras, picaduras y raspones. Sana, sana colita de rana. I turn around. And I headed to the immigration court. The place was crowded. I squeezed myself into the last view. Back. 
ya para arrancar. Me voy a sentar. Okay. Everybody's waiting for it to start. Order. We will commence this merit hearing. Today, June 1st, 2018, I, James Maxwell, immigration judge, will be proceeding in the removal proceedings of the matter of the Julio Gomez Santos case in the city of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Counselors, would you state your appearance, please? Gloria Ortega, defense attorney representing Mr. Gomez Santos. Jay Meisner, representing Homeland Security. Duly noted. I have here a witness list uh, in support of the uh, Mr. Santos' request to stay the removal order. Is this the full list? Yes, Your Honor. Are the witnesses present? I'm Juan Rosa aquí para servirle. Ay, he's such a wonderful neighbor. You all oh, will be given a chance to testify. For now, sit down until you are called. Yes. Now, let's get started. Mr. Santos. Yes. What is your true and correct name? Julio Gomez Santos. Is your best language English or Spanish? English. If at any time you need a court-appointed interpreter, please call out and one will be provided. Now, have you spoken to your lawyer about your case? Yes. Obviously. Great. So today we are reviewing an appeal order of a possession of a valid entry document. Any objections? No objection from the government, Your Honor. None from me, Your Honor. Good. We will continue the appeal proceedings. Okay, Mr. Santos, would you please come up to the witness stand? Yes, Your Honor. Vamos, diles cómo fue. No tienes nada que esconder, mijito. Order! Order! Miss Ortega, please contain your witnesses. Por favor, calladitos. Yes, yes. Sorry, Your Honor. Sorry. Sorry. Please raise your right hand, Mr. Santos. Do you swear that the testimony you are about to give in the court will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Yes, Your Honor. Hmm. You may have a seat. Ms. Ortega, you may proceed with a clarifying statement if the government does not have any objections. No objections, Your Honor. Your Honor, my client's troubles all began when he was arrested while out picking up his mail. Damaged in a bad storm, his mailbox refused to open. So, so my client decided to use a hammer, a hammer to retrieve his morning paper. Unfortunately, fortunately, his efforts attracted the attention of the police. This is Unit 10. We have a suspicious Latino male vandalizing private property. Go ahead, Unit 10 for proceedings. Copy that. Unable to present any identification or documentation to show who he was. Step uh, away from the mailbox. No, you don't understand. Sir, I, I, sir, drop that hammer. I said drop that hammer. Oh, that was my tone. I'm sorry, really I didn't. I, you told well, me to drop The oh, officers oh, arrested him. You, yeah, the officers arrested him and very quickly discovered that he had no legal status in the United States whatsoever. Order! Order in the court! You are out of line. Counselors, please refrain your witnesses from this outburst or I will have this courtroom clear. Sorry, Your Honor, it's just an originating me. 
Well, how about you keep that over there? Now, let's continue on with this case. Okay, Mr. Santos, can you tell us where you were born? Uh, Morelos, Mexico. And what do you do for a living? I'm a cook. Well, I want to state for the court that my client is an outstanding pila in his community. Excuse me, counselor. A pila? A pila. Like he pills? No, like a pill. Uh, like uh, I could use a pill right uh, about okay, now. That's yeah, a, with yeah, okay, proceed. Uh -huh. Yeah. So in his community, and if he were to be removed, you know, it would be an undoing burden to, to Carlitos. Papi! Yes, his disabled son who mm. depends on his father mm. to take care of him. I mean, it would be a travesty of justice. That'll be all for now. Mm. Well, we are going to hear from Homeland Security. Go ahead, Meisner. Thank you, Your Honor. Ugh, well, let's get to the point. Mr. Santos, how did you enter the U.S.? I crossed the Mexican border. And was it easy for you to jump the fence? Oh, <laughs> so unnecessary. No, no, I, I, I didn't jump any fence. I walked through the gate at the border. Can you describe how? I was with my friend who is a citizen, and we walked across the gate. You just walked through the gate? <laughs> yep. What about your friend? Well, the police patrol asked my friend if he was a citizen, and he said yes. So when it was your turn, you answered the same thing. Objection. That's a presumptuous question. Sustained. <laughs> Good now, Mr. Santos, please proceed. Um, tell us what happened when they questioned you if you were a U.S. citizen. Well, they only asked my friend. They never asked me. So nobody at the checkpoint checked your documents or asked you anything. Mm. Did you otherwise offer any information? I didn't know that was the norm. He was admitted without inspection. Objection. The word admitted. The word admitted is just a suggestion. Sustained. Whatever. Go ahead. This alien did not make a lawful entry into the United States after inspection and authorization. Mm. He therefore was not properly admitted. Mm, mm, mm. Mm. I see, I see. This here is a central point of this case. Exactly. Your Honor, Your Honor, if I may interject, my client physically presented himself for questioning. Mm. But, but there was no questioning. That's not believable. The alien oh, didn't is. offer true mm. information. Isn't mm. that right, Mr. Santos? Objection. I, my client uh, won't answer forced choice or non-confirmatory questions, Your Honor. No, no, it's... I'll answer. Um, hey. Your Honor, hey. is this the real life? Or is this just fantasy? Am I caught in a landslide, no escape from reality? Open your eyes, look up to the skies and see. I'm just an alien, I need no sympathy. Because he's easy come, easy go, little high, little low. Any way the wind blows, doesn't really matter to me, to me. Papa, Carlitos asks, when is daddy coming back? Will he read my book tonight? Papa, life has just begun. Don't know if I can make it without you. <laughs> Papa, ooh, 
you cry. Promise that if I'm back home tomorrow, our home will be whole. That is all that really matters. Too late. My time has come. Send shivers down my spine. Bodies aching all the time. Goodbye, everybody. I've got to go. Gotta leave you all behind and chase the truth. Bye-bye. Don't go far away. I wish they that the alien is ineligible to adjust status under Section 245A as one who has been inspected and admitted into the United States. I object, Your Honor. Under Section 101A, 123A of the Act, my client got lawful authorization and entry by an immigration officer. Regardless, Your Honor, of whether the immigration officer treated the respondent as a United States citizen... He, as an alien, is required to present himself before an immigration officer as an alien. He's an alien. He's an alien? He's an alien in this world. So freaking call, 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 call. I'm just an alien and nobody loves me. He's just a poor boy from a poor family, sparing his life from this monstrosity. Easy come, easy go. Will you let me go? Miss me, Ma. Mamma mia, mamma mia, mamma mia, let me go. Things have become very clear to me at this moment. The undisputed facts are, one, the respondent presented himself for inspection. Mm -hmm. Two, Mm -hmm. the alien physically presented himself for questioning and makes no knowing of false claim. Mm -hmm. And three, and three, even though he volunteered no information and the immigration authorities had no questions for him, such an alien has satisfied the inspected and admitted requirement of 245A of the Immigration Act. No! Yes. (laughs) Therefore, this case is closed. (laughs) 
could be this animated, huh? You just heard an immigration rhapsody performed by Teatro del Pueblo's acting troupe. And now I would like you to meet our next musical guests. They are Mestifonia, a fusion of artists from Colombia, Bolivia, and the U.S. who are determined to dazzle our audience with their Ibero-American music. And here they are with Bamboleo.
you so much. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, Ms. Tiponia. Okay, and now I would like to welcome our special guest, Dina Ayer, immigration lawyer and the executive director of Immigrant Law Center of Minnesota, which provides free legal representation, education, and advocacy to low-income immigrant and refugee communities since 1970. The Immigration Law Center of Minnesota, or ILCM, is Minnesota's premier provider of comprehensive immigration legal services to clients of all nationalities. Yes, 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 you're going to love this conversation. And let me tell you more about Vina, because besides her passion to serve our immigrant community through ILCM, She's also active in diversity and inclusion among lawyers in Minnesota. Having served on the board of the Minnesota Asian Pacific American Bar Association and Minnesota Women Lawyers, she is currently on the board of regents for Augsburg University and the vice chair of the board for Portico Health Net. And I am very happy to have a chance to chat with her. She's here with me. So welcome, Vina, to El Barrio. Thank you so much. So glad to be here, Sylvia. Yes, so much to talk about because immigration is one of the oldest traditions of our country, right? Absolutely. And sometimes, no, no, no. Always, the system is very confusing, right? And it takes a fearless lawyer like you to go into the deepest and make it work one case at a time. But let's go to the beginning. Tell us a little bit about how you grew up here, because you were born here, right? I was. My claim to fame is I was the first baby born in Fridley, Minnesota, the year I was born. There is a newspaper with my baby face on it. <laughs> it's amazing. And your both your parents are from India, and I'm sure they have their story. Everybody has an immigration story. I came from Guatemala and about 20 years ago, and it seemed like a never-ending process. Tell us a little bit about the story of your parents, how they got here. Well, in, it actually starts, interestingly enough, I think both in the late 1800s and then at the same time in 1965. I say that it starts in the late 1800s because that was the time when the United States passed its first restrictive immigration laws, which actually targeted primarily immigrants from China and particularly Chinese American women, but grew into a number of restrictions that stopped Asians from immigrating to the United States. Mm -hmm. So part of my parents' story is that for almost a hundred years, they couldn't immigrate to the United States had they chosen to because of these very restrictive immigration laws. Right. Their actual process of coming here, though, starts in 1965 when the Immigration and Nationality Act, which was really the last major immigration reform that kind of established our immigration system as it is today, was passed and allowed individuals from a much wider variety of countries than just Europe to be able to immigrate to the United States and really created part of the employment and family-based system we have today. My father came here in 1969 in order to go to the University of Minnesota to study engineering. And then four or five years later, after he had gotten a job and they had sponsored him, he married my mother in India and he sponsored her to come to the United States. 
At that time, it took a couple of months, which for them was a really long time. My father had every citizen friend of his writing to um, Senators Mondale and Humphrey at that time. But as many of you probably know, a couple of months is like a drop in the bucket for how long most people are waiting for an immigration petition to come current today. For some folks, it can be 5, 10, 20 years. Yes, it is. It is crazy. And I imagine the, the impact of the pandemic has been a difference of day and night. Oh, absolutely. We are definitely seeing that petitions are taking a lot longer. Citizenship applications, for example, that a few years ago had taken maybe a year maximum to process are now taking a year and a half or two years. And that's a result of both the previous administration really trying to find any possible way to slow down the adjudication of applications and also just all of the different barriers that have been erected by COVID, you know, folks who are waiting for visa processing in consulates abroad, they've been having to deal with the fact that the consulates are closed. There are, of course, the COVID restrictions on travel. So there's just so many different elements that have come together to really bring the system to just a snail's pace. And how did you start working at the Immigrant Law Center in Minnesota? You recently celebrated three years. So I celebrated actually two years, just started my third year. And yes, the way I first got connected with ILCM is that several years ago, I was working at a law firm, but I had a history of working in immigrant legal aid and I wanted to give back to the community. So I got connected with ILCM, which has a fantastic pro bono program to connect private attorneys with low-income clients to be able to assist them in various areas of immigration law. I worked as a pro bono attorney with ILCM for several years. And then a couple of years ago, I saw the position posted for the executive director, loved ILCM, loved the work, and thought, hey, why don't I throw my hat in? The worst that can happen is they say no. And in fact, they said yes. Wow. And I'm sure you have seen a lot of changes. What has significantly changed that you feel has impacted the process? There are so many things that have changed in the last several years, but I'll highlight just a few items. Um, first, I think DACA mm -hmm. is an area in which there's just been significant back and forth. As you know, the Supreme Court saved the program last year, mm -hmm. and now it's going through the courts again because the state of Texas and several other states are wanting to find any way to end DACA. So that's been, I think, very, very hard for the young dreamer community mm -hmm. since 2017. Virtually no one has been able to get DACA as an initial applicant. The second thing we see is significant delays with regard to green card processing in just so many different areas, yeah. whether that's green cards being applied for by individuals applying for their family members abroad, individuals applying here based on family petitions, or even individuals applying based on some sort of other visa. Mm -hmm. I think the final thing is when it comes to deportation proceedings, we have such lengthy wait times mm -hmm. such that if you're in deportation proceedings right now, you may be waiting for three, four, five years for a hearing, even if you have a really strong case, even if you have a way to defend yourself, you'll be waiting a very, very long time because those dockets are so lengthy. 
Wow, it's complicated. And we hear in the news lately that the United States is facing what seems to be a major crisis in the southern border. Could you shed some light on the issue and how our current immigration law is supposed to deal with the asylum seekers? I'm happy to share that. I think the first thing that's very, very important is that we have domestic laws, international laws, all of which state that we must give refuge to asylum seekers and give them an opportunity to show that they should get asylum, they should get due process in order to determine if they, they deserve asylum. Unfortunately, that is not what is happening here in the United States or along our border right now. The first very problematic issue is this issue of what's called Title 42. Mm -hmm. It is a law that's been invoked by the federal government in order to stop asylum seekers and others from being able to enter the United States because of the public health emergency with regard to COVID. Of course, the problem with it is there's no evidence to support the idea that asylum seekers are somehow a greater threat of COVID than others. Right. And other people who are coming through the border, citizens, wealth permanent residents, et cetera, are not being tested in any way. So it seems a little specious that we are suggesting that we're so concerned about public health, but can't even do any type of, of testing at the border when people are entering. Yeah. The second issue is that we've just got so many people who are down at the border because of Title 42 and other reasons. They're being kept on the other side when what really ought to happen is they come through, they have what's called a credible fear interview to determine whether there's a potential that they would be able to apply for asylum. And then they should be able to stay in the United States, have shelter, have some protection while they're going through this. The United States is trying to really try to do this outside of the country, which is not what we should be doing under international or domestic law. I wonder if you have any story that you would like to share with us about a recent case, something significant that has been memorable for you. Yeah. When I think about stories that have really touched me over the past year, there are a couple. One of the things that folks who have gone through the immigration process will know, and I bet many of your listeners know, is that the age of 21 can make a really huge difference for your kids. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is that young people under 21 are treated as children under immigration law, but kids who are over 21 are not. And what that means is that under several provisions of the immigration law, not all, but several, if you turn 21 while you are waiting to get to the front of the line for um, a particular visa, If you don't get it before you turn 21, mm -hmm. you end up getting pushed to a different line, which is much, much longer. Wow. So it's really, really important for That's folks. very important. Oh, it's very, very important. Now, that doesn't happen in all cases. But I will say, if you know that a family member has applied for you and you're getting close to being 21, or you've applied for a child of yours who is close to turning 21, absolutely consult a qualified immigration attorney to determine whether their turning 21 is going to pose any issues or if there's any action you should take before they turn 21. It's great to know. So with that little bit of background, the story that I wanted to share, so we had a client who we assisted with getting status because she was a victim of a crime. 
So under the immigration laws, if you are undocumented or precariously documented and have been a victim of a particularly serious crime, and you have cooperated with law enforcement in the investigation or prosecution of the crime, you can apply for what's called the U visa. Now, just the waiting period to get the U visa right now is upwards of five years. But after you get the U visa, a few years later, you can apply for a green card and then for citizenship. The other key about the U visa is that it has ways for you to apply for your dependents, your children, uh, your spouse, in order to get the U visa as well. Well, what happened to our client is that she was able to get the U visa, but she had children who were in her home country. And she had been working with our attorneys so hard to be able to get them here, um, both while she was on the U visa, but then also when she got the green card. Well, we got really, really close to getting her child here to the United States, and then COVID hit. And so it was so hard to get a consular interview, um, to get plane tickets, et cetera. But what our staff was able to do just a couple of weeks before her child turned 21 is call the consulate, got an interview, had to call the airline to make sure that they would be actually allowed to board, contacting (laughs) Border Patrol for like when they got to the airport, And her child got here a couple of weeks before they turned 21. And our client was reunited with her child after, I think, almost a decade. (gasps) Wow. (laughs) Yeah. That's amazing. That's that's teamwork. (laughs) It is absolutely teamwork and really a testament to the attorneys in our office. Um, I think there were some congressional staff that was involved with just making sure that we got the counselor interview. Um, it really does take a village to to make sure that that families can be reunited. Wow. It's so many things change. And uh, I remember I, I used to have the J1 in, in the 2000, year 2000. That one still exists? Yes, the J-1 does still exist. And just for those listeners who aren't necessarily familiar with the J-1 visa, the J-1 is an interesting kind of catch-all visa for a lot of different exchange programs that allow folks from abroad to come into the United States for two years to kind of do some sort of cultural exchange or study. Many of the J-1 visas, though, have a restriction, which is after you've stayed here on the J-1 visa, you have to return to your home country for two years before you can come back to the United States. There are waivers available in some cases. And and time runs. I mean, you need to resolve these things yesterday. You know, we have to be patient. Absolutely. And one of the things I think that's hardest coming to an attorney sometimes is that there are so many different factors that go into what are the opportunities that you have to get status and what might be the barriers to you for getting status. And we really need to understand all of the little details in order to kind of connect all the dots and say, okay, this is the advice we have for you. I imagine our listeners must have so many questions about their cases. I mean, it becomes such a burden when you are trying to resolve your situation and, you know, there's still paperwork and we have to wait and it depends. I do encourage people to call our intake line in order to get advice and, and get assistance. Yes, you can call ILCM at 
651-641-1011 or 1-800-223-1368. And our intake is open on Mondays from 9 to 1, Tuesdays from 1 to 4, Wednesdays from 9 to 1, and Thursdays from 3 to 7. And anybody can call there, Vina? Is there any restriction? Do you have to have a difficult case? What are the requirements? Um, we currently serve clients from across the state of Minnesota. So you would need to live in Minnesota to receive our services. Second, um, we do have income guidelines. So I think it is at least worth calling to determine if you may be eligible for our services. Finally, as you might imagine, we have so many more prospective clients who call us that unfortunately we have the resources to serve. So we do prioritize certain types of cases and we list those types of cases on our website at www.ilcm.org. You can click on get help and that will give you some information about the specific types of cases that we are assisting with at this time. Right. Thank you so much, Vina. This is very valuable. Thank you so much for your time and the work you do. And we hope you come back to Cocos Barrio sometime soon. Would love to be back. Thank you so much. And that was fantastic. Hey, listen, Tejano singer Selena Quintanilla Perez put the Latino community on the map by breaking barriers and making history as the first Tejano artist to win a Grammy in 1993. Not only did she validate her cultural identity throughout her career and long after her premature death, but her legacy of inclusion has empowered a new generation to embrace Latino culture. Now, Kathy, Miguel, Yvonne, and Maria Isabel from our cast will pay a tribute to the singer Selena with one last song, Como La Flor. Yo sé que tienes un nuevo amor, sin embargo te deseo lo mejor. Si en mí no encontraste felicidad, tal vez alguien más te la dará. Como la flor, como la flor, con tanto amor, tanto amor, me diste tú, se marchito, me marchó se perder pero ay como me duele ay como me duele si vieras como duele perder tu amor con tu adiós te llevas mi corazón no sé si pueda volver a amar porque te di todo el amor Pero ay, como me duele, ay, como me duele, como la flor, como la flor, con tanto amor, tanto amor, me diste tú, se marchito, me marcho hoy.
hubiese Miguel Gonzalez, everyone. <laughs> Gracias, Miguel Gonzalez, Kathy, and chicas. And we are ending the show on a great note. I hope you had fun listening to our Fiesta de Inmigración, mi gente. Gracias to all who made this episode possible. Thank you to Vina Ayer, our musical guests, and of course, thank you at home. Uh, or wherever you are listening in the car. Share this episode with your friends and family. And don't forget to follow Teatro del Pueblo in Facebook and Instagram, okay? Muchas, muchas gracias, familia. Los queremos. This episode of Cocos Barrio was written by Alberto Justiniano and Silvia Pontaza in collaboration with the ensemble. Produced by Alberto Justiniano. Associate producer, Barry Mador. Host, Silvia Pontaza. Special guest, Vina Ayer. Musical guests, Mariachi Internacional, Mestifonia, and Katy. An Immigration Rhapsody was directed by Sue Scott, performed by Teatro del Pueblo Acting Troupe, Adam Valera, Davarus Brannigan, Paula Arguello, Silvia Pontaza, Jessica Mraz, Johanna Drenlaw, Musical Director, Ahmed Ansaldúa, Houseband, Vladimir Garrido, Nia Biagetti, Nico Muñoz, Miguel González, and Mauricio Sánchez. Sound Engineer and Sound Mixer, Barry Mador. Social Media and Marketing, Siri Perry. This show was made possible by contributions from the Knight Foundation and the McKnight Foundation. And you! Can't wait for you to visit El Barrio again. I am Coco, signing out until next time. Peace! This podcast is made possible in part by a grant from the Minnesota State Arts Board through an appropriation by the Minnesota State Legislature and a grant from the National Endowment for the Arts. For more information on Coco's Barrio, visit Teatro del Pueblo, Minnesota's Facebook page, or our website, www.teatrodelpueblo.org.